Well, good morning, everyone. If you're here in the auditorium or if you're in the cafe, I want to greet you and say thanks for being here, especially if it's your first time here. I want to welcome you today. And my name's Ryan. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And we jumped into a brand new series just last weekend that I am very excited about. Uh, this series has really been affecting me. It's called With the End in Mind. And really, basically what we said is this. We said we want to be people of wisdom. We all know that if we're going to be people of wisdom, we have to get out above kind of where we live life now and look out beyond and say, what do I want to shoot for? What is coming down the road? And how do I begin to align my resources, kind of align my life towards that end? So we all know that. We all know that that's kind of how wisdom works, that I, I need to think long range. I need to get out above it. I can't just kind of live uh, in the now and here and kind of where we tend to be. And that's what we said last week. If you weren't here last week, we said that what we tend to do in life is we just kind of live for the next wall that we can't see past, right? There's usually something that we're kind of aiming at in life, right? If I'm a student, I'm looking towards graduation, right? I got to get through school. If I'm not married yet, maybe I'm single, I'm looking to find a spouse, Right? We're looking to buy a house. We're looking to have kids. We're looking towards whatever the next thing that's coming, this next wall that I can't see past. And then what we said is Christ followers, even though we tend to live kind of in that chasing down these walls and having all of our time and attention focused there, we said when we interact with what Jesus has says about the end, that, that he tells us that there is this end that's coming, that this whole world as we know it is going to change. That everything we know and everything that we see and everything that we value will fundamentally be changed and that this world and this earth is going to burn with fire, that it, it's not eternal, it won't last forever, and that everything that we know will fundamentally be different. We said, with that end in mind, how do we go back today and begin to live with wisdom? How do I live towards that day that I know is inevitably coming? Jesus promised that he will return to us, that he will change everything. We don't know when it's coming, but we know that we have to get ready for it. So we said, how do we live in light of that? And what we began to do after last week's message, which by the way, if you missed that, highly encourage you to get caught up online. You can do that at graceohio.org. Hit the media tab, and I'd love for you to watch it if you missed it. We worked with the whiteboard, so you want to catch some of those visuals we walked that through last week and we said, what we're going to do over the next handful of weeks is we're going to talk about kind of answering the question, how? How do I do that? How do I take the reality that the end is coming, take it all the way back to my everyday life and begin to live with the end in mind? And we said there's really three words that are going to help us do that. And these words show up in the Bible all over the place. They're really the center points of how to live as a Christ follower. And here's what those words are. They're uh, faith hope and love, faith, hope, and love. And those words we're going to unpack and say we want to be people of faith, hope, and love. And today we're going to look at the first one, which is going to be faith. And we're going to begin to understand what does it mean to be a person of faith, and not just initially in Jesus Christ in salvation, what does it mean to walk with Jesus and to be faithful to him over a lifetime? Specifically, how do we do that with the end in mind? So all that sets us up, I think, for our conversation today, and the section of scripture that we're really going to be in for this whole series is Matthew 24 and 25. This is, scholars refer to this as the Olivet Discourse. It's the, this teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples right before he was about to go to the cross on the Mount of Olives, and he taught them all kinds of stuff about the end and how to prepare for it. We saw some of that last week. What we're going to do now is we're going to begin to look at a series of parables. We're going to dive into one of those today. 
And a parable is basically this. A parable is a short story where Jesus would grab onto kind of an everyday scenario in life, right? He'd grab onto something physical and tangible that I can get my head around. And what he would do is he would take that everyday scenario and he would relate it to a spiritual truth and say, man, if you want to understand this spiritual reality, here, it's going to be like this story. And specifically, the one we're going to look at today is about the end. He's going to talk about what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like towards the end of time. He says, boy, if you want to know what what the end is going to be like and how you can prepare for it, here's this story I want to tell you real quick, and that's going to help you disciples to get your heart and mind around it. That could be maybe the way that Jesus would approach it. So what I want to do is I want to go ahead and have you turn there in your Bibles. If you have a Bible, grab it. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a newer translation of the Bible or maybe you don't have one with you, you can grab one from underneath the chairs there, and you can actually take that thing home with you. We'd love to have you uh, really embrace a, a personal copy of God's Word and have it with you all the time. So get to Matthew 25, however you need to do that, and we're going to begin to dive into this story. I want to tell the story, just read it. We'll walk back through it and unpack it and kind of explain what that spiritual reality is behind this physical story. Let's read it first, try to get our minds around it. Verse 14, chapter 25 of Matthew, Jesus talking to the disciples, he says this, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. He says, to one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once, and he put his money to work. And he gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not scattered seed, uh, gathering where you have not scattered seed, and harvesting where you have not sown. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So then when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's happening here? Let's begin to break the story down, start to understand what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. He says the kingdom of God at the end of time is going to be like 
this super wealthy guy, right, that went on a journey and he looked and he had a couple servants and he said, I want to entrust my wealth to these servants. He would have looked and said, here, I got a, I got a servant here and I want to give him five bags of gold. I got another guy here, I'm going to give him two. And I got one more servant, he's going to get one bag of gold. Just for perspective, to try to get your mind around how much we're talking about here when we talk about bags of gold, this would probably be the equivalent of around $2 million per bag of gold. And I kind of felt bad at first when I was studying this for this guy. I'm like, oh, he only got one. Two million, man. He's still got two million, right? Even though he got one bag of gold, that's still a big deal. So the, the master took his wealth. He entrusted it to each of these guys. And uh, basically what he did is he employed them as venture capitalists. We all know what a venture capitalist is, right? It's a, a person who takes the resources of an investor, grabs them, works with them, leverages them, and tries to multiply those resources for the sake of the investor. Put those into work and begin to move those along and multiply them. We saw the first servant, the one with five bags, ended up with 10. The one with two bags ended up with four. And this guy went and dug a hole in the ground and uh, he held on to what he had. He still had one at the end of the day. What did the master say at the end of the day? He said this, when he looked at the, the stewardship, the management that these men had each had, his conclusion, his assessment of their job was good and faithful servant for this first one. He looked at him, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. He looks at the next one, he has the same assessment, good and faithful servant. I thought that was so interesting that even though this person had lesser ability than this one, he was at the end of the day given the same assessment, good and faithful, said the exact same words to him, even though he's less gifted because his faithfulness matched that of the first, that they gave it all they had. When the last one was given an assessment, was not good and faithful, he was called wicked and lazy. Wicked and lazy. Fascinating. So you look at this story and you say, Ryan, what's what is the spiritual truth behind this, right? What is Jesus trying to teach us here? Is he trying to teach us about money and that the fact that we should go make a lot of money? Let me just tell you, that's not what this parable is about. That's not what we're talking about at all. Here's what's happening. Jesus is going to look at each individual human being, and here's basically what's happening. He's going to say, I have entrusted to each human on the planet an unbelievable, almost immeasurable amount of resource. God would look at us, or Jesus would look at us and say, I have implanted in you, entrusted to you, enormous amounts of resource. You're saying, what kind of resource? Talking about money? Money is one of those resources. Another one's time. See, I'm, I'm going to give you a lifetime to work with. Another one of those resources is our intellect, our gifts, our passions, our unique abilities that really only we have. If you, if you think about what's implanted into a human being, it's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? Right? We're, we're looking, you say, I've, I've entrusted this to you. I've given you a lifetime to take what's been implanted in you to multiply those resources to give an account one day that is coming, that at the end of time, what's going to happen is these venture capitalists, right, us, we're going to give an account for how we have lived. And at the end of the day, we're going to be given a commendation. We're going to be given a label, a word, an assessment, an evaluation 
Will it be good and faithful? Will it be wicked and lazy? And some of you maybe are asking right now, even as I'm explaining this, Ryan, are you talking about salvation? Are you saying we gotta earn our way to salvation or earn our way to heaven? Absolutely not. I wanna make sure that's crystal clear. We're not talking about salvation. I'm not saved by taking the resources that God has given me and multiplying them for the sake of the kingdom. That's not how I become right with God. I become right with God simply and only and clearly through the person of Jesus Christ and the initial faith decision to believe in him to pay for my sins. Now, people who have done that, who have accepted Christ, will persevere not only in the initial faith decision to say yes to Jesus, but in their faithfulness to him. They'll take what they're given and they'll multiply it for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, this is what the end is gonna be like. This row right here is going to be incredibly important. He's saying, I promise, I want you to understand that that it's critical that you don't waste your life. It's critical that you don't blow it. I don't want you to land here. I want you to see yourself as having the potential to be here if we're not careful We want to land here and live in faithfulness to Jesus. So what I want to do here for the rest of our time is I want to walk through uh, three ways to basically not be this guy, right? Nobody wants to be that guy. (laughs) Let's just be honest, right? I I want to look at three ways to not be sorry at the end. And here's where I think this all starts. Here's the first one. The first one's this, I don't, uh, we don't get frozen, instead we choose to risk. We don't get frozen, instead we choose to risk. Has there been frozen before? So I think this is what happened to uh, this, this wicked, lazy servant. He looked at what God had given him, what he had been entrusted with, and he thought that, that maybe God was a perfectionist and that that he was afraid because of who his master was. You ever done this before? You ever been frozen? I remember this time right after high school, in between high school and college, kind of my first year of college, was a time where I was deeply frozen. Um, I had always chased things down pretty aggressively. And when I disconnected from high school and went to college, I got a you know, you disconnect from your friends and you disconnect from your identity and you don't really know who you are and you don't know where you're going and what am I going to study and what am I going to be? And these questions were piling up in my heart and mind. And everything that I thought that mattered in high school and it all made sense to me, in college, none of that equaled out, none of it made sense and I was frozen. How do I move forward? There's a couple deaths in our family and there was some disillusionment for me. Had a bad breakup with a girlfriend and everything in my life was reeling. And I literally was like, "How, how am I supposed to even take a step? Fear, the initial response of moving forward in life is fine. It's something we all face. But when that fear sets in deeper, it becomes a paralysis. And it can freeze me in life. I think that's part of what happened to this servant. Who knows how the story plays out. But this guy, when faced with the task of investing and and risking for the sake of his master, he became frozen. And some of you say, Ryan, that makes sense to me. You know, I I get frozen. And you know what? If you knew what, 
what I've been through, you would understand why people get frozen. Some of us might be saying that. You might say, how can God use my life? How can God use me after what I've done? If you knew the sins that I've committed, if you knew the secrets that only a few people know, or maybe no one knows, if you knew my weaknesses, my failures, my poor decisions that hurt people, now you'd be frozen too. As maybe some of us look at our limitations and we say, how could God ever use my life? Don't you see my weaknesses, my physical limitations and my lack of capability? If I was like Pastor Jeff or if I could go up on a stage and do that, maybe God could use me then. But, but to look at my failures and my sins and my weaknesses and my limitations, I'm just gonna hide this thing in the ground. I don't even know how to move. Guys, what I want you to know, what God would want you to know in all this is that if you have blown it, if you have sinned or failed God in a significant way, which I would say was probably the story for probably all of us, is that God is eager to forgive you. He took care of that with the person of Jesus. He's eager to forgive you. And what does he want you to do? Instead of becoming frozen, he wants you to choose to take risks again. Did you know that you and I are venture capitalists for Jesus and his kingdom? That's what this parable basically teaches. What are we saying? We're saying that there's a resource that's entrusted to us that's not actually ours. Did you know that? Did you know that your money is not really your money and mine isn't either? That our time, that our gifting, that our capabilities, the fact that things make sense to you and they don't make sense to other people, that's actually God's gift to you. The fact that you have passions for things that other people don't have passions for, that you see the needs in the inner city or the needs of the poor or your heart breaks for things that other people's hearts don't break for, those are gifts that God has given you. He's entrusted you with those resources. Like these people that were given bags of gold, you are given an enormous wealth. All of you and say, Ryan, I don't feel like I'm that gifted. I don't really feel like it's that special. Listen, even, even the guy who got the least amount, it's still $2 million. It's still an incredible amount of resource that God has given. And what God will look at, what Jesus would say to us is, would you take what I've given you and boy, would you begin to set it into risk? I don't know what it takes to move five, million, or five bags of gold into 10 bags of gold, $10 million into 20. I imagine it's an incredible amount of risk involved, an incredible amount of effort. And Jesus would look and say, I want, I value, I consider faithful someone that takes what I've implanted in them and they begin to use it for the sake of my kingdom. Because what if you have something resource, energy, gifting, intelligence, abilities, even pain, even your failures. Your unique story, even that is a gift of God. And what Jesus would look at us and say is I want you to set that into motion to be a risk taker with it to take what fires you up and use it for the kingdom of God. 
What if you begin to share your faith, to open up about your love for Jesus? Who knows what God could do? I want to be someone that sets into motion the things that God has given to me, recognizing they're not my own. I'm a manager, I'm a steward of something that someone else has given me. I don't want to become frozen. I want to choose to take risks. It's the first one. The next way to really not be sorry at the end is this. I don't want to embrace apathy. Instead, I want to choose to be eager. I want to choose to be eager. So this slave, here, here was his error, so fascinating to me. When I looked at this story and I was studying it, I was trying to understand why the master who represents Jesus, right, in the parable, would look at this and say these harsh words. I was like, well, why didn't he just look at him and say, hey, at least you didn't lose it, buddy. You know, at least you held on. It was a lot of money. At least you, you, you didn't throw it away or just squelch it. You just, you were prudent, maybe. You just held on to it. And he looked at that, and he couldn't say that. Instead, he says that he was wicked and he was lazy. That really blew my mind. Because what we're saying here is when someone has all these gifts and abilities and things implanted in them, it's not okay just to hold down the fort to be a storage unit for the gifts of God. Survival isn't the goal, right? He's saying, I want you to put this at risk. I want there to be an eagerness. And what was lacking in this servant was an eagerness. There was an apathy there. Here's where he started to trace back is that at the root of laziness is apathy. It's apathy. It's not caring. He just didn't care. Isn't it honest that it's easier just to not care? I was thinking about this. I was talking to my son the other day. We rearranged all these toys and where we stored them for our girls. So we got four kids, a boy and three girls. And it's pretty normal for us to like have our kids put each other's toys away. It's like communal problem, right? There's a mess. We all try to clean up together. And so one of these days, we just had moved where all the toys went. And we looked, my, my wife and I were home on my day off, and we looked at my son, and we said, hey, bud, would you mind grabbing the girls' toys and go put them away for us? It's so funny. So, so he got up, and he moved, and, and he went, and he grabbed a couple, whatever they were, Barbies or some dolls or something, I don't know. And he grabbed them, and he went back to the room, and he brought them back, and he sat down, like, lethargic, and sat down, and he said, Dad, I couldn't find where to put the toys, almost identical to what I just did. That's how it sounded. And I looked at him, and I was a little bit, I was a little bit boggled, because he's a smart kid. You know what I mean? He's got, he got some stuff in him. He's smart. And I looked at him, and I said, okay, buddy, you couldn't, you couldn't find where to put the toys, your sister's toys. Yeah, I couldn't find it. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> hey, buddy, let me ask you this question, kiddo. If there was a hundred bucks attached to you finding where to put those toys, you think you could figure it out? He's like, yes, I can, Dad. I can do it. <laughs> what did my son have there? What was going on? Where was that apathy coming from? The problem wasn't that it was, it was too big of a problem and I just couldn't do it. His problem was a motivation problem, man. You know, you start talking dollar bills with that kid, and he's like, I'm in, right? I want some Legos. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> I think that's what's happening here, is Jesus is going to look at this servant, and he's saying, 
Let's just be honest here at the end of the day. When you, when you looked at what you had, you just didn't care enough to stay in it the whole way through and drive it through to the end. So what you did is you just took what I gave you, you hid it in the ground, and you called it quits, and you went on your business. Apathy. I don't care. I don't care about my master. I don't care about his business. I don't care about his will. I'm just going to do my thing. Guys, we cannot embrace apathy. Apathy is death. What do we do instead? We choose eagerness. I got to choose to be eager. What are we saying here? This line right here, right, between what I've been entrusted with and what I will give an account for at the end of the day, this line is a unique fixed set of time that we have? What if we began to see that line as an urgent task that we only get to do once? And we're not talking about using this line just for selfish means. This is the only opportunity that I have to take what God has given me and maximize it for the sake of the God who loves me. Guys, think about this. There's, there's an eagerness here, and, and I want to begin to lock on to it. Here's what usually happens to me. As, I'm, as I notice that eagerness is missing and apathy is present, here's how I usually have to diagnose it for myself. I usually find apathy in myself, and here's how it works. When I hear someone else talking about Jesus like I just did, and they're, they're fired up about the things of Jesus and his kingdom, and there's an eagerness to who they are, and they're, they want to follow God's will for them, and I hear that talk and it feels far away and faded, and I feel apathetic towards the things of God, here's usually what's true of me. Because this happens to all of us, by the way. I think if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to go in and out of apathy at times. There's no myth. It's a myth to think that we are going to be on fire every day of our life for, for Christ. We fight for it. But here's what I usually find when apathy's present in my life. Jesus feels far away and a passion for him feels hard to grab onto. Is what's usually true of me is that something else has captivated my heart. That's usually it. There's something else. And guys, I think if we're going to grab hold of eagerness again, we have to admit that. That something else has grabbed my attention and my imagination, the center point of my heart. What is it? I don't know. What's yours? Who knows? You captivated by a vision to make money or to have comfort or have a better life or keep up with, I don't know. Is it a, a vision for sports and being really involved? With, I don't know what it is. But when there's apathy present, I have to recognize that. I have to own that. And, and admit that if my heart's not in the kingdom, it's, it's for something else, at least in practice. But can we begin to see this line with urgency? Can we begin to see God as wanting to include us in a process where we have the privilege to use what God has given us to literally change lives for eternity? Do you know this? That, that God is looking at you and I and he's saying, I have given you these gifts on purpose. Guys, what if you have unique abilities that God has said, I, I want to include you in my plan and I've given you this gift and if you put it into practice, you could actually shape someone's eternal destiny. 
Did you know that you and I have words to say empowered by God through the Holy Spirit that can affect someone's eternity, either for good or bad? Did you know that that we can share truth and be involved in a process where someone could come to life spiritually? Because what if God is treating us like that and looking at us like that and he's saying, I want you to be eager about my kingdom and I've given you these gifts because I want you to lock onto them and I want you to use them for my glory. We have to begin to get about it because the time is short. Guys, what if God's looking at you and saying, your passions, your gifts, you can be involved in a plan a lifestyle that will actually matter at the end of the day. This is getting clearer to me. This stuff is messing with my head. I just want you to know that. The more I think about the end, the more burden I feel for this conversation. I just don't want to look at Jesus at the end of the day and say, Jesus, here's an account for my life. What'd you do, Ryan? Uh, I got really excited about money. I watched 12 years of TV and I had a comfortable life. I just don't want to say that, man. I have no desire to look at my Savior who, who spilled blood to save me. He loves me and he says, Ryan, I'm giving you treasure, wealth that's unbelievable, not just financial. We're talking about all of these abilities and he's saying, you can spend your life and be used by God to affect life change in people. What if I get to use the gifts and ability that God gave me or you have the gifts and abilities that God gave you and you could be used to change or save a marriage, to stop a line of wreckage in generational sin as it's affected people? What if because we're tuned in? What if because we, we stopped in a given day and said, here's my to-do list, God. I'm gonna push pause for a minute. I'm gonna drop it. I'm gonna relax for a minute. I'm gonna focus on you. I'm gonna say, I want to be eager about what you are doing in my life today, Jesus. I'm going to recognize that there's people that you put in my path, that there's things that you're doing in my life today, and I want to tune into those. I don't want to miss them. Here's my agenda. I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to put it over here, and I'm going to say, Jesus, whatever you want to do with my life, because I don't want to miss out on being a part of what you're doing I want to see the person in need that you put in front of me. I want to see the unique connection between the the, the story that you've given me and the need that you've placed in front of me, and I want to see that stuff lock in. Guys, it's so interesting. Let me lead you into this last one. I want to tell us this story. The third one says, don't misinterpret our master. Instead, aim at his happiness. Don't misinterpret our master. Instead, aim at his happiness. If we had to sum up really the heartbeat of what happened here, this guy, the difference between this one and these two, this one misinterpreted who his master was. He looked at him and said, oh, I'm afraid, I don't know. I don't know if I can be as good as these guys, so I'm just gonna hide it in the ground. I'm not gonna show up. He's a hard man. I think he's gonna look at me and think that I'm gonna mess it up. You guys ever do this? This is how I would have viewed God in the past and still struggle to not view him this way now. You ever think God is looking at you, waiting for you to mess it up again? 
Like really, like I, I don't even know if I can get back in the game here and really let God use my life because God's just gonna inspect it and nitpick it and, and I think that's how God is. My kids and I, we have this, uh, it's just a simple thing. We, we have these bowls of snacks that we tend to grab kind of during our family time, you know? So they'll, they'll have each have a bowl. So I go for these four kids and they'll have a bowl of Cheerios. So simple. And inevitably what will happen is one of the kids will eat their little bowl of Cheerios faster than the others. And so then what will happen is that kid goes to another kid and they're like, can I have some of your Cheerios, right? And then that kid comes and talks to me and says, dad, so-and-so wants me to share again. It's usually, these one, it's usually one kid that always eats them faster than the others. It's always that way, right? And, the, and so, so this one kid has this moment of crisis, right? And, and they're like, they're looking at this bowl of Cheerios, like these are the last Cheerios on the planet, you know? And they're like, Dad, do I have to share? And if it's my son or my daughter, this happens like weekly, right? This is a regular conversation for us. I'll look and say, buddy, you got to share with your, your sisters, bud. You got to share with your brothers, right? You, you got to look at the bowl of Cheerios and you got to know that you're not going to run out. I got honey nut in the back, <laughs> you know? I got unopened boxes of Cheerios here. And I think this is what's happening. We look at the resources that God has given and we say, man, I gotta use these for me. I gotta hold on to it. I gotta, I gotta take a grip of it and I gotta make sure that what I want out of life, I get out of life. And God's saying, I'm trying to take you on an adventure. There's plenty. I'll, I'll make sure that you're taken care of. Take what I have and use it in the lives of people and use it for my kingdom. Don't waste your life. Leverage what you have. Put it to use. Set it on fire for Jesus and his kingdom. That's what you're made for. Because our, our master, he, he's looking at us and he's not looking at us to mess up. He's not waiting for us to blow it again. He's looking at us and he's celebrating and he's enjoying it and he wants us to be involved in the reality that's more blessed to give than to receive and man, I want my kids to get that. As I look at my kids, I'm like, God, help them to understand your heart that we get to be people that are used by God in faithfulness to bring life-changing hope to the people around us. This is what we get to do in this life. This life is not made just to survive. It's made that we give ourselves away fully. That the gifts and talents that each of us have and the passions that we have are spent fully so that when we show up at the end of the day and we look at Jesus face to face, we look like him as one who offered their life all the way to the point of death. And then we get to see him, guys, and I want you to be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness because I promise it's the only thing that will matter on that day because we have to get this. It matters so much. It matters so much. We can't get a hold enough of what God has given us, what he's placed in us, and we can't get a hold of how much it matters that we put it to use for the sake of Jesus, not for salvation. It's not what it's about but because it's what we're made for, we're created for. Did you know you're created for the eternal and your life is made to matter? It's not made to be survived through. 
The gifts you have are not to be used in a storage facility. Hold down the fort till Jesus comes back. You and I are to be risk takers, venture capitalists for Jesus. And you say, man, I'm old. I've blown it. I, I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Whatever your sin and whatever your story, it's not too late. Okay. How do we wrap this up? How do we live day in and day out with faith, with the end in mind? How do I do it right? I got to ask myself a couple questions. First one's this. Am I frozen? Am I frozen? If you're super honest right now, you know, you looked at where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Would you see that that there's a comfort zone maybe that you used to live outside of, but slowly but surely you worked your way into it and now it's home. And you're frozen in it. You ever, you ever been there? Maybe are you there now? As if you find yourself frozen, paralyzed, not moving in your pursuit of Christ, what do you do? One simple thing. Today, Take a risk. Break out of it. Say, what do you you mean? What what do I need to do? I don't care. Whatever it is that makes you feel uncomfortable for the sake of Jesus, maybe it's initiating a broken relationship, maybe it's picking up your Bible, maybe it's grabbing your spouse's hand and praying with them. I have no idea what it is for you. But build some momentum here, folks. We want to take this frozenness and break out of it and begin to be a risk taker again. It's what we're made for. We're made to live on the edge of our faith. It's where it's most fun. Do it today. Am I frozen? Breakthrough, begin taking risks again. Begin to give, begin to share, begin to pray, begin to move towards Jesus and his plan. Next question is, am I apathetic? If I was really honest about my heart today, would I look and see that something else has captivated my attention and my imagination, the focus of my energy? Guys, listen, I'm not trying to beat you up, I promise. That's not what it's about. If you look and you say, I'm apathetic, Ryan, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to own that. Okay, that's a great place to start. Here's what I have you do. You grab that status of your heart, that state of your heart, It's apathetic because you've been captivated by something else. And would you say, Jesus, I'm sorry for this one. Sorry that my heart landed over here. I want to be as passionate about you and your kingdom as I have been about whatever this is. Just take that step, the transition. Do that work with God. I know I had to do some of that in preparing for this. Apathy is something that I'm I'm always fighting and I'm frankly paranoid about. It's deadly and I need to deal with it as a deadly disease. Finally, don't misinterpret our master. Instead, aim at his happiness. Have I misunderstood God's heart for me? Guys, God loves you. Loves you like crazy and maybe you're here today and this is the first time you're here or maybe you don't know Jesus yet. And you're saying, I really don't know if I can trust God's heart. Let me help you by telling you what he did for me. It's probably the best way I can explain it. 
I'm a sinful guy. I've done many things I'm not proud of. I never sought God a day in my life, frankly. Not before he came and found me. What I realized is that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, never sinned. He had total freedom from from blame in God's eyes completely. And even in light of that, he died a, a death willingly, died on a cross to pay for my sin. And when he did that, he offered me a life that's filled with joy and pain, but adventure in its real life. And he said, Ryan, I'll be your God and you can be my follower. You become a child of my Father, God, and you can follow me with all of your heart. Because if you never made that decision, I would encourage you to make that today. It is the most critical decision you'll ever make. Start there. For the rest of us, we want to lock on to this view that these servants had of our Father. That He's looking at us. He just wants to involve us in the joy of bringing hope to the world. The epic drama of bringing love and hope and realness to people that are hurting. As you see that, would you own that? He's not looking at you, waiting for you to blow it. He wants you to win. So I'm gonna have the band come out. We land this conversation. I think for all of us, we gotta wrestle this stuff through. Am I frozen? Am I taking risks? Am I stuck in apathy? Can I grab onto an eagerness for Jesus and his kingdom? Finally, will I be a person that has faith and walk faithfully? Will I live with the end in mind? Wrestle with God this morning. Jesus, thank you uh, that you love us, that you, you don't quit on us, Lord, even when we blow it, that you're eager to forgive and you're eager to show grace. What I love is this is not a condemning conversation. It's not why you told the disciples this. Lord, you shared this with us so we could have freedom and not settle for lesser things. Lord, I pray that you would give me and this group of people the courage and the vision to not waste our lives. Lord, help us to see the deep, trust that we have with the resources you've placed in us, the urgency to chase them down. Lord, more than anything, help us to see your heart, your love and your passion for us. That you long to tell us, good and faithful servant, and that you hate it when you have to say wicked, lazy servant. Lord, work in our hearts this morning. Draw us to yourself. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.